Uh, it's lovely to be with you here this morning, especially because today is quite a special day for me. I was baptised 31 years ago today, so Palm Sunday is my baptismal birthday, so it's always good to, to be somewhere to celebrate it. And we're going to hear and turn to Mark chapter 11, verses 1 to 11. Uh, I'll be reading from the NIV. Uh, words should hopefully come up on the screen as well, but you know, I'll just give you a few moments to turn to it in your Bible if you haven't already got there. You know, sort of three quarters of the way through. If you've got anything that ends in ayah, then you're probably still in the Old Testament and you need to move on. And if you see Malachi, you're almost there. Hmm. You got this one. Okay. So, Mark 11, verse 1. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it, and will send it back here shortly. They went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some, of, some people standing there asked, what are you doing untying that colt? They answered as Jesus had told them to, and the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, sorry, <clears throat> and threw their cloaks over it, he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road, while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead and those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple court. He looked around at everything, but since it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. It's helpful just to take a moment to think. Just to ponder what's going on there because when we read the Bible we're supposed to think about it we're not meant to just kind of glance at it and go oh, yeah that's great fine whatever we're meant to think what do we notice about the passage what what strikes you as a little bit odd maybe what are the well what's going on does it go on like you expect it to are you surprised by anything who do you think Jesus is at this point what do you think he's doing why is he arrived what's he going to do it there's loads of questions and these questions should keep tumbling over and over and over in our heads they pop up even more if you read it like you've never read the passage before and perhaps you've not but it's always good to come come to it like it's fresh and I think this passage is really interesting I was going to get through these bits because we've already read them I think this passage is really interesting because the way it's written is designed to prompt questions. You see, we often let our minds wander off into the other Gospels when we read these accounts. But we should be thinking, what was Mark getting at? What was Mark trying to say here? What was Mark wanting you to do? See, Mark's really quite blunt at the beginning says this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God. 
So that's a bit of a plot spoiler, isn't it, really? You know, very first verse, you open the book, this is what I'm going to go on about. But what did Mark mean? So when Mark said Jesus the Messiah, what did Mark mean by that? When he said the Son of God, well, what kind of Son of God? What kind of person? You see, if you read the Gospel of Mark from start to finish, I mean, it's only 16 chapters, it doesn't take that long to do. It's the shortest, it's the simplest, it's the the most punchy and pacey of them all. Then you'll notice something about the way Mark speaks about Jesus. He, he keeps on doing things that almost seem to be there to try and keep Jesus under wraps, Jesus hidden. I mean, if you look at the first, uh, first parts, he, Jesus heals people and then says, don't say a word, D- don't tell anybody. Or, or he casts the demon out as you, as you looked at the other, you know, a few weeks ago and then commands the demons not to speak because they know he's the son of God. Even, as you looked at a couple of weeks ago, even as Peter says, you are the Messiah, Jesus says, great, don't tell anyone else. Say nothing. In fact, it's a bit of a theme because it's something that goes through the whole of Mark's gospel. Yeah, see, people, yeah, Jesus is there saying, well, I'm here, but I don't really want you to know where I am. I don't necessarily know, want you to know what I'm doing. He's, well, it's called the messianic secret in Mark. It's, it's this idea that actually Mark isn't telling you the answer because Mark wants you to work it out for yourselves. He wants you to think about it, you to come to a view Let's face it, even when Jesus is teaching in public and using parables, nobody really understands what's going on. Nobody really gets it, so he then goes and he describes them to the disciples. And the disciples are there going, don't know about you, but I still don't get it. What's Jesus on about? And it seems to me that this is a deliberate thing. This is something that Jesus is doing intentionally, and Mark is recording intentionally. You see... He's demonstrated his power over creation. He's demonstrated his power over the spiritual. He's demonstrated his power over illness and the world and everything. And the one thing you get from Mark's gospel, they don't understand. Nobody's got a clue. It seems to me that the disciples haven't got a scooby. It seems to me that the crowds don't really understand what's going on. The Pharisees don't get it. The scribes don't get it. The chief priests don't get it. The Roman authorities don't get it. Nobody gets it apart from God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He's the only one who seems to really know what's going on. Everyone else appears to me to be pretty clueless. And you know what? That might be where you are this morning. That might be how you've come into today. You might be sitting there going, well... I've gone to church all my life, but I've never really met this Jesus. I, I don't really say I'd have a relationship with him. It might be that you've, you've been told some stuff about Jesus by some people, but you've never really investigated it. You've never really thought it through. could even be you're just passing on the street and you thought you'd pop in. We bumped into, uh, Jan and I went to Highfields last uh, week in Cardiff, and we bumped into somebody who uh, we knew 
and they dropped their girlfriend off to work and had said, just walk, going past and went, oh, there's a church here, I think I'll go here today. I just kind of wandered in. You see, over and over and over, what Mark is really trying to do is to get you to ask the questions that you've started this whole Sunday morning series off with. Who is this Jesus? What did he come to do? And Mark, Mark isn't being obvious in any of these things or he's saying, well, look at the obvious things, but also look at the subtle things. Look at the things that we, that you and me can so easily skate over. Subtleties sometimes that reveal your own faith, your own hopes, your own fears, your own worries. But today's passage is just a fantastic example of one of those ones that's filled with subtle detail. All the more so if you just stay in Mark, if you don't go into Matthew, Luke and John. And that's what we're going to try and do. We're going to try and do our best to stay just in Mark's Gospel because when we read with the knowledge of all the Gospels, we start to sort of layer things in. We start to add things in. We, we start to multiply stuff up. And I'm not suggesting that we add the Easter Bunny in. I saw this on Facebook and it just made me laugh. The origin of the Easter Bunny and Jesus making hand puppets on the... There. I just thought, we're not going to say the Easter Bunny is part of the Gospel here. Because it isn't. It's not about the bunny. But the thing is, is when we read the account, when we read Mark's account, I can almost guarantee that everybody was sitting there thinking, oh yeah, well, actually, it was palm branches they were waving around, just like we were doing earlier. Yeah, that's only in John. It's not in Matthew, Mark and Luke. Just John. Only John says palm branches. And then we look at other bits, you start going, oh, yeah, 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 that's great. And in fact, Laura and I were in a lecture the other day, and we got given a quiz, and it said, right, here's a load of things about the passion story, about Jesus' last week. Answer some questions. Where do you find this? Where do you find that? How many people were in the tomb when the women got there? Who found the tomb first? Who saw Jesus first? And you start answering all these questions, and you realise that the story, just like the Christmas story, is all built up from a mishmash of everything. But Mark was writing with purpose. So it's really good to have the context of Mark and approach this just with Mark. And the first thing we want to think about is this, is that Jesus didn't suddenly appear at Jerusalem. You know, there wasn't a sort of bing moment where he suddenly went, aha, and here I am, I'm at Bethany. Let's just go into Jerusalem. He's been travelling south from Galilee with a growing crowd of people. And, you see, he's travelling south because he's going to Jerusalem for Passover. Now, you may not know, Passover was the celebration that the Jewish people had every year. I can't remember after which moon it was, but it was all set at a certain time in the year, and it was to celebrate their being freed from slavery in Egypt. It was them remembering that God sent an angel of death to kill the firstborn. And because they followed what God said and marked their doorposts, the angel of death passed over them. Literally passed over. And it was a requirement that everybody who was Jewish had to go to the temple, if they could, to celebrate this festival. And you've got bucket loads of people moving around. So to try and give you some idea of what it's like, if you... If you think of Pontypridd, about 30,000 people live in Pontypridd, 
Estimates for Jerusalem at that time is about 100,000. So think about something about three times bigger than Ponty. And then think that, I don't know, maybe everybody in Cardiff says, do you know what, I want to go out and spend a week at the Lido. So everybody in Cardiff moves up to Pontypris for a week. That's what Jerusalem would have been like at the time. So it would have felt crammed, crowded, mad busy. It, it would have just been absolutely packed. And this crowd has been moving south and growing and growing and growing. And what they've had is they've had Jesus teaching them along the way. If you go to Mark 10, it says, and Jesus stopped and they taught them. And then they carried on towards Jerusalem and it's carried on. So this crowd is starting to find out more and more and more about Jesus. But the roads they were travelling were not very much like the roads that we think of when we think of travelling. This is the main road south to Jerusalem from Galilee. It's a modern photo, obviously. They didn't have cameras back in the first century. But, you know, it would have been a really intimate thing to travel with a big crowd because there wasn't the room to move around, not like we're used to. But all we find out, all we find out after this long journey is that Jesus arrives near Bethany, near Bethphage, and says to his disciples, okay, if you go down over there, you'll find a, a colt tied up. Bring it to me, and if anybody asks, you just say, the Lord needs it, and he will send it back soon. So that's what they do. But first question, why does Jesus want a colt? I mean, what, what's that about? Everywhere, if you look at his uh, mission, up in Judea, up in Galilee, he's, he's done it on foot. He's used a boat occasionally. I mean, we can remember that bit, but he's walked everywhere. And now, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, for the first time, he said, no, I, I want to ride. Well, okay, that's a bit strange. And, and if you start looking back and digging into it, you find that the rabbis at the time said, if you're coming to Passover... You must walk up the hill to Jerusalem. Because remember, Jerusalem's up on top of a hill. So you've gone up to the Mount of Olives, you drop right the way down into the valley, then you've got to go right the way back up to Jerusalem. It's a hill fortress. You've got to walk. So that's weird, isn't it? Why would Jesus suddenly be saying, I want to ride? We kind of skate over it, we kind of ignore it, but it's a strange thing. Mark doesn't explain it, not obviously, but he does start putting some pointers in. So, Jesus knows there's a cult that he can borrow. And we're not told how he knows, whether it's some prophetic word, some, some insight, whether the owner is in this great big crowd that's with him, or whether he knows the owner from Bethany, because we know he knows Bethany, because that's where Mary and Martha and Lazarus were, so he's been there a few times. But we get kind of hung up on that. But that's not the important point. The important point is that Jesus is deliberately taking a cult because he's trying to say something about himself. Something which Mark doesn't spell out, but we're meant to look at. There's more. Picture the scene. You are the people standing in the street in Bethany. Nearby there is a cult. We know it's a donkey, but Mark doesn't tell it's a donkey. But there's a colt tied up. 
Suddenly, two people that you don't know wander over into your village and start untying a colt. So you say, hang on, what's going on here? And they say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back soon. Oh, okay, then crack on. Does that strike you as strange? I find that a bit unsettling. I'm, I'm, I would hope if somebody saw, you know, was tampering with my car, you know, tied up over on the corner there, and somebody sort of said, what are you doing? That's not your car. Oh, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back soon. I would hope you might ask a few follow-up questions. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things, but, but we, we forget that what Jesus or what Mark is portraying of Jesus here is there are only two types of people that could get something without prearranging it. One was a Roman official. A Roman official could come up and say, I'm commandeering that. I need it, I want it, and you've got to go, yeah, okay. It's a bit like you could be made to carry some, a Roman soldier's pack for a mile. That's probably why Jesus said, we'll carry it a second mile, because it's subversively getting the Roman soldier in trouble, because they could make you carry it a mile, but they couldn't make you carry it two. So Jesus is subverting the system there. But who's the other person who could take something without prearranging. Well, it's a king. Only kings could do that. So Mark is starting to say, think, who is this Jesus? Is he just the carpenter that's come from Nazareth, that lived in Galilee? Or is he something else? Is he something more significant? There's another bit that's uh, really struck me, is we always do get very hung up on this. How did Jesus know where the cult was? But nobody seems to notice the fact that Jesus took a colt that had never been ridden. His disciples threw a couple of cloaks on the back. He sat down and went, there we go, crack on up the hill. Who's tried to get on a horse that's never been broken for riding? Volunteers? I mean, I'm sure I could find one. You wouldn't do it, would you? Now, if you wanted a miracle, there's the miracle, the fact he can sit on a donkey that's never been ridden and ride it up a hill to where he wanted to go and let's face it, trying to get a donkey to go where you want it to go is hard enough. But so this is where Mark is going. It's start thinking about the text, get hold of the text. Because it's really interesting that the disciples aren't phased by it. They didn't say, well, this has never been written, you shouldn't be writing this, Jesus. The crowd aren't phased by it, they start going, this is all great. But we're also meant to think of some other Old Testament bits and pieces. We're meant to start to think that actually if a, an animal has never been used for anything, then it's probably got some sacred significance. Because you'd take animals that have never been used for anything and you'd use them as sacrificial animals, or you'd use them to pull the cart that moved the Ark of the Covenant. It's about something being holy. It's about something being special. And also you've got what Zechariah said. Got what Zechariah said, which you get in Matthew and you get in John, but you don't get in Mark, which is this. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this is Jesus really saying there's something kingly happening here. This is something about the rightful king returning. 
They might even be thinking the crowd that are surrounding and cutting these branches down and throwing them on the ground and taking their cloaks off and throwing them on the ground. They could also be thinking about all sorts of other things. They could be thinking about Jehu being made king. Whereas he walked up the steps, they threw their cloaks down on the steps so that he wouldn't have to have his bare feet contacting the stone. They might have been thinking about Simon Maccabeus from the Maccabean Rebellion because when he went into Jerusalem, they cut down palm branches and threw them down on the road in front of him. You can read about that in in 1 Maccabees if you want to. And it's actually why the rabbis then said for the Passover you should start waving branches around because they were remembering that there was something of restoration there. Or they might have even been thinking about Solomon coming into Jerusalem on David's mule. Either way, the crowd are starting to go, there is something significant happening here. There's something amazing. There's something so very challenging. So they start breaking out into song, don't they? They start singing as we were earlier, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Psalm 118 used for the Passover celebrations. It's a traditional part that you go up the hill and, and they probably sing it in two parts. So, so half the crowd would go, Hosanna! And then the other half would go, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You can imagine all of this going on. They're crying out, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Lord, act now. You see, that's what they'd normally do when they were welcoming pilgrims into the temple for Passover. So you've got something so religious going on here and something so royal going on here and you can sense the crowd getting more and more and more worked up. And then they they just go off on a little tangent. They just go off to the side a little bit and they start saying, blessed is the coming kingdom of Father David. Suddenly they've changed things, because that's not part of the normal welcome. That's where they're starting to get a little bit political. You start to get that sense of, oh, okay, maybe, maybe this Messiah, maybe he's come to do something that we weren't expecting. Maybe he's come to bring the long expected freedom from the Romans. Maybe he's come to to shake up the politics and, and, and restore our land to us. But the thing is, is that what Mark meant? Is that where Mark was going with this? Because what happens? Jesus comes up to the gate in Jerusalem. The crowd are going wild and the crowd does nothing. Absolutely nothing. You get to those verses at the end of the passage and it says, and when Jesus got in, he went to the temple, looked at everything, and because it was late, he went back to Bethany with the twelve. Was that what you were expecting? I mean, I I would be expecting something more to come from this, but I, I found that really unsettling. I thought, what's going on? I mean, how can this be? The loud, the expectant crowds, all the noise. The overthrow of the Romans. Well, they didn't notice it. Because they didn't swoop down to arrest him. There was no public riot going on like Paul at Corinth. It's, It's just silence. It just ends. 
I meant to ask the question, was Jesus a political freedom fighter? Was he the one who was coming to set the, the Israelis free from the Romans? Well, the answer is obviously no. He wasn't coming to do that kind of thing. And when you read the next five chapters, as we head through Holy Week towards Easter Sunday, the things start to become clearer and clearer and clearer. The disciples still didn't get it. They just didn't get it. We know it ends in the cross. Jesus told them time and again on the journey down, I think it's recorded three times in the Gospel of Mark, that I have come to die for you and to rise on the third day. But they didn't get it. The male disciples clearly didn't get it because they abandoned Jesus, although it's interesting that the women didn't. The women stayed. The women were there at the foot of the cross. The men, mostly gone apart from John. Probably. Jesus, betrayed on trumped-up charges, goes through a kangaroo court, an awful trial where the judges can't seem to make up their mind and in the end say, take, take an innocent man or take a murderer. You, you pick. They chose to murder the innocent and set the murderer free. In fact, Following that awful death penalty, there's only one person in the Gospel of Mark that seems to work out what's going on. And he's a Roman centurion, sat at the foot of the cross, who saw the way Jesus died and said, truly, this man is God's son. A Gentile Roman was the only one who actually got it because the cross was where true messiahship was revealed. It's where the true purpose of God came to pass. You see, he hadn't, come set, he hadn't come to set a nation free. He'd come to set creation free. He hadn't come to defeat a Roman army, but to defeat sin and death on the cross. He hadn't come simply to set some people free so they could enjoy a land. He'd come to set all who would have faith in him free. And that's what Mark's after. That's what Mark wants you to do. Mark wants you to read his gospel and to think and to answer these questions. And even if you go to the very end of Mark's Gospel, even if you go to right to the very end, you still find no real answers. If you go to Mark 16, get as far as verse 8, you end up with some women coming to a tomb, looking in, finding a young man dressed in white who said, are you looking for Jesus? Oh, he's not here. He's risen. And they come out and they're bewildered and they're terrified and they're too afraid to say anything to anybody. And then some scribe has obviously come along and kind of gone, hmm, I don't like the ending of this story. It's not clear enough. So we, verses are added on. The earliest manuscripts don't have verses nine onwards. And most scholars now think that's because Mark was deliberately leaving the question hanging to say, so what do you think? What do you think Jesus came to do? What do you think, or who do you think Jesus was? 
You see, it throws us right back to the very beginning. It throws us right back to the opening words that the beginning of the good news of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. All the way through, Mark is saying that you only find the true disciples of Jesus when you find the ones who take up their cross and follow. Laura was saying earlier about the crowd. The crowd crying, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were fans. They were excited. But then they melted away. It's a question that we all need to ask. That Jesus never came to bring a political solution to any problems. He never came to to do anything other than to die on a cross, having lived a perfect life, so that we, who shouldn't be free, can be totally free. That's why he came. His life, his death, his resurrection. That's what being Messiah was about. Being Messiah was a bigger thing than anybody could have ever grasped. Because anyone who trusts him can find the same freedom that he brought that day. Let's pray.